HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Ithaca, New York boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation among 150 waterfalls. Plan your trip today with help from visitithaca.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters, and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love. All for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Jenny Lefcourt. We'll talk to Jenny about women and wine, what a natural wine is, and Jenny and Francois. You know, I ask all my guests to bring in wine for our weekly wine sip. So, of course, Jenny brought in cider. Okay, so we're going to taste a cider that Jenny brought in. There's a good story behind it for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. New York City born Jenny Leftport got her undergraduate degree at Cornell. 
received her master's while in Paris and was also pursuing a PhD at Harvard. She met her husband in Paris while studying, where they both shared a passion for not just wine, but the people, practices, and stories behind those wines. And because of that, they started their wine import company in 2000 called Jenny and Francois, and it is one of the most respected wine importers in the world, specializing. They're one of the most respected in the world, period, and specializing in natural wines, not just specializing. Um, welcome to the Grape Nation, Jenny. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Thanks for coming in. We got a lot to talk about. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I, I've been waiting to have you come in because there's some issues that I think, you know, you're the perfect person to talk to. But I think the first thing we should do is I think people should get to know a little more about you and understand where you came from and why you're doing it. So give us a little background um, in your journey in sure. life and wine that got you to where you are today which is 19 years later you know as an importer yes almost at our 20th anniversary I, I know. we'll have to have a big party that's a big party yeah <laughs> um so i did start the company with francois it was, it's still called jenny and francois selections but we were divorced and i bought him out uh well, divorced many years ago, bought him out about five years ago. Okay. Um, so I'm 100% sole owner and running the company for many years now. Um, so started out when I moved to France to do research on French cinema, study for my exams at Harvard, and I did finish my PhD. You did finish I it? I finished. I meant to ask you that. <laughs> Dr. Jenny. So... But then or recently? Uh, no, then. Then. Yeah, in God. 03 I finished. That's impressive. So I started the company in 2000, and I was still juggling both worlds of academia and wine um, in the beginning and kind of trying to decide which path to take. Right. Um, and uh, my father's favorite poem was, uh, you know, the path less traveled, which at the time wine seemed less traveled than... Right studies for me what was so a couple things you did a a year abroad as an undergrad right yes that was yes. your first exposure yes absolutely i went to france i studied with jacques derrida Hélène Sixou, all the french philosophers theorists <laughs> <That's great. laughs> um i did a second master's degree in france so i you know spent wait you have two masters i do i have two masters and phd <laughs> So, so, but not in wine. You got to give me the early foundations. Where does the wine, um, you know, attraction and interest come? Yeah, I mean, it was really from living in France, and I just thought, as soon as I got to Paris, I thought this was the best thing I'd ever done. <laughs> it's so beautiful. So People take lunch breaks. They <laughs> you were overtaken by everything. I just loved it. The pleasure of food and wine and discovering a new city and being on my own and exploring and so it was amazing did you meet you didn't meet francois that undergrad year did I you did. Oh, oh so that was early yeah. on then you went back then i went to, back to new york finished then, my degree right um yeah and and, and then Worked on the PhD in. Um, went back to Paris again. Did a master's with Alain Sixou. Right, the um, second one. So you know, first. 
Absolutely. Thinking about gender and, you know, feminism and French theory and things like, things right. like that. And then, um, then I applied to PhD programs. I got into Harvard and came back and started along that program and quickly thought, what can I do to get back to France? So I applied to all, for all kinds of grants and, you know, got money to go live in Paris and study French film. What year was that? Um, let's see. Late 90s? Uh, you know, it was a lot of back and forth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and... So, you're a, an incredible academic. I'm an academic. You know, you're prolific. <laughs> you have two masters. I am. You know, you eventually get your PhD. <laughs> you attended an undergraduate Ivy. Okay, great. What are you doing in wine? Right. Where, where's that... Where's that bridge or what's the inspiration to leave all that behind? So part of it, and I've actually never articulated this quite before. Yeah. All right. I'm going to spill my soul here. But um, I lost my mom really young during college. And then Mm. I lost my dad when I was finishing my PhD. And I thought, you know, that was a lot of trauma and loss. And I thought, what's important in life? And having spent time in, in France... I, I really part of it was pleasure. You know, it's like if there's not pleasure, that what's pushed the point? you in focus. It pushed me towards pleasure, politics, and survival. Well, let's talk about your mom <laughs> for a little, because when you talk about politics, your mom was a interesting and influential character. Yes. You. What'd she do? So my mom was a lawyer, and she was in the first class at Brooklyn Law School to admit women. So even though she was doing amazing. She wasn't allowed, for example, to be on the law review. Um, so she had Because some, she was a woman. Because she was a woman. And her friends in that class um, after law school became her partners in the first all-women's all law firm in New York City. And there was a uh, focus or a specialty, right? Didn't they work in... Well, they were civil, civil, civil rights, rights lawyers. lawyers. You know, they... At first did, you know, help people dodge the draft from our apartment, <laughs> which later became my true? apartment. They did. Um, and then she... So very activist. Activist. Yeah. Activist. Yeah. Um, my uncle, too, uh, Gerald Lefcourt, he's a criminal lawyer, defense lawyer. And so then they were both on the... Um, de- uh, defended the Black Panthers. Right. The Panther 21 trial. And I was born during the recess of that trial. God. My mom went... To trial, she was like a rebel, and she went to court with shorts and ripped t-shirts and <laughs> refused to wear suits. <laughs> she was a personality, and certainly a notable. Um, how old were you about then? You were tiny. I was born. Just yeah, born. <laughs> so you you, did, you didn't grasp any of that. I didn't grasp it, but I did. You under you understand I, now. I grew up. It's interesting. My brother's five years younger than me, but I grew up in a household that was a very political household where there were discussions about politics, discussions about how to change the world, discussions about feminism. Um, I think, you know, just those few years, my brother was born kind of in a different universe. So what's funny is I should be sitting here talking to you as if you were a congresswoman or a senator, (laughs) but you're in wine and I'm sensing 
this was a non-wine interested family. (laughs) So there was no influence from wine from the family? Zero. Not interested in food, not interested in wine, not interested in anything material, really. really. Interested in ideas. So that's my academic part more than... So France exposed you to that and the loss of your parents to push you to really do what you wanted to do. And how did the wine... Your love of wine and interest was there. How did the business idea come about? Well, um, I mean, I was really discovering natural wine, that which didn't have a name at the time. It was the 90s. Nobody called it that. I wish it was like that now, right? <laughs> right. Um, but, but, it, but how do you stumble on that? You know, you know. It was a bunch of different... Um, Stumblings, <laughs> all separate that kind of led to the same place. Um, friends opening wines that seemed totally different. Um, drinking wine in certain Parisian bistros that seemed different. Um, and then going to finally branching out and going to wine tastings and talking to uh, winemakers who, who described what they were doing and explained why all this seemed so different to me. So do you think being in Paris, it's a dumb question, (laughs) being in Paris exposed you to this and understanding and a love for it, right? Absolutely. I don't know if that would have happened at bars in Manhattan. No, it definitely wouldn't have because it was the second half. I mean, it was the pleasure of discovering these in Paris and they weren't in New York. And so coming back and forth, I realized that. For one, I couldn't find any of the wines I wanted to share with my friends. Really? That was sort of the start of it. But then really going to the wineries and seeing what they were doing in the vines and realizing there was also a political element. It kind of gave me the right to go into business. We'll talk about that in a second um, because I want to talk about natural wines. But there was obviously a sensation or a taste. You know, your knowledge and taste is more evolved now. Then, I mean, what was it? Was it energy, lively? You know, what were you tasting? What stood out to you? Yes, energy, liveliness is a great way to describe it. You know, wines that just, I had only had sort of big, heavy reds and oaked whites. Like parkerization wines. Yeah, just I walk into a wine store um, at Cornell, you know, in Ithaca to bring wine to a professor's house and say, you know, <laughs> and I never knew what to choose or how to choose it. And I didn't enjoy it. And it just you wasn't, just drank it, yeah. so it was really, it was really Loire Valley natural wines. But the other it. thing is France is the hotbed and the originator or home for, you know, at least natural wines before there was even a mention or a movement, which is what you were doing. Exactly. So exactly. It was, I mean, and the Loire Valley was a real right. spot where that happened. Right. Chiverny, Torhen, Anjou. Those are places where I kept going back again and again and saying, what's going on here? All right. So let's, there's no better person I could think of than to have this discussion with you. Let's talk about natural wine and let's, put the discussion under the fact that natural wine, the term, is what we're using as a broad thing, yes. whether it's right or wrong. I mean, let's talk about the discussion of natural wine. There's debate, the divisiveness. Um, there's a movement. And really, I want you to tell me what natural wine is, 
how you see it. And, and I want you to talk about, I want you to get specific. There's a philosophy there. There's ingredients. There's things you do and don't do. Yeah. To, from mm-hmm. you, not what the book says or whatever. But, you, <laughs> you know, natural wine to you and the people you carry is what? Well, you know, there wasn't a book when we started. There was, right. you know, the first tastings I went to, nobody knew each other. I mean, the winemakers didn't know each other, so they weren't sharing information yet. Like, that really is much more recent. So That's a big deal. figuring out how to define what it is they had in common and what made these wines interesting and vibrant, that took a lot of asking questions. There wasn't a roadmap. And so it was really asking questions of the winemakers and everyone saying, first and foremost, there's no synthetic chemicals in the vines. There's no herbicides and pesticides, insecticides that are chemical sprays. You know, there's an organic viticulture. That's the base. Right. Then, um, you know, what you learn in wine school is you pick the grapes and you put sulfites on the grapes. But... There's a thing with natural wines, and I need you to get more specific. They're hand-picked, right? I mean, there's no real machine yes. usage or work. Absolutely. Right? I mean, these are guys that, you know, besides not using, you know, herbicides and all that, they're picking the grapes by hand. For sure. Why? Yes. So it's, yes. Um, so it's no chemicals in the vines. There's different philosophies about how you treat the vines. Um, but then hand-picked in small crates to really preserve the entirety of the grape, make sure it's not damaged, make sure you have to be work really cleanly when you're making natural wine. Right. Why? Because sulf- sulfites are a preservative, you know. So peop- you know, when you take a crate of hand-picked grapes, they're beautiful. Right. You know, in in a year that's not a disaster year, they're beautiful. Right. And they're better in a disaster year than a machine picked, I would uh, think. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, some would argue machines are very gentle these days, but really it's not the same, in my opinion. And we're talking generally winemakers that are farmers and They're smaller, farmers. you know, smaller operation, hectare yeah. size and all of that. They're doing everything themselves usually. You know, there's not some big tasting room. You know, they are working in the vines. They're making the wines. They're selling the wines. They're going to so, fairs. and right. They have dirty, you know, hands that are purple after harvest, and so the first thing is the field, the practices, and these guys don't work with any herbicides, pesticides, anything, or whatever. They handpick. Um, Correct. Where but- does organics and biodynamics come in? So, because you could be one thing and not another. And absolutely. T- talk about that. I mean, there's a lot of more techno organic wine. So. Um, you know, the, the vines still look... I mean, if you look in a vineyard that's biodynamic, that has lots of life, there's lots of things growing there. There's lots of insects. There's lots of... There's fruit trees. There's all kinds of things. It looks messy. Right. <laughs> uh, beautiful to me, but right. messy to some. You know, some... Contributing go- to the overall environment to yes. keep it healthy, right? I mean, we were just in Austria visiting Christian Cheetah, and he said he was talking to a bee specialist and said, what more can I do for the bees? You know, and the bee specialist said, nothing more than you are doing, because what they, these people are doing is creating 
and and helping biodiversity to flourish, to exist. I mean, things are being killed off on a micro level, just as on a macro level. So, so Christian Sheet is one of the people that you represent. Just you know, so it doesn't get behind us. Spell yeah. Sheeta for us, because if anybody wants to look him up, um, it, it's T T S C H I D A. Right, and we'll talk about him uh, a little later on. But he's definitely one of the great winemakers. All right, so everybody's working very clean in the field. They're working by hand. Um, you could be organic or biodynamic. Fruit comes in. Then yeah. what happens? What are these guys doing, you know, that are making it a natural wine? So they're letting the grapes do their thing, basically. There's yeast that exists on the skin of the grape, and that yeast is what starts the fermentation. Naturally occurring. Naturally. No introduction. Correct. And then it ferments. It can take as long as it needs to take. Either it ferments, you know, right. in the fall or it waits, you know, in the winter it gets colder. Sometimes things slow down and it stops fermenting. We'll warm up again in the spring and finish its fermentation. It's um, it's the opposite of what people are taught in terms of winemaking. In schools, um, winemaking schools where you pick the grapes, you want to add sulfites to um, kill off all the yeast and bacteria that are present for the fermentation process or just the winemaking part of it kill them off and then bring in a lab yeast that's (laughs) going to be more controlled so a lab yeast that'll create a flavor that is consistent every year yes so you know that can be some people claim there's more neutral yeast you know other yeasts are really i mean the one that is famous or infamous rather is like in beaujolais nouveau there's, it's often associated with um, like a banana candy, cherry kind of taste. The yeast? <clears throat> the yeast. So by using that, you always get that characteristic. Yes. I mean, Still? I mean, there's also, people might say some of that is that it's uh, <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> a whole cluster fermentation. But that's the non-natural guys. Carbonic fermentation yeah. could also lead to that taste. But yes, that's the non-natural guys. So the natural guys... You know, they don't add sulfites in the beginning. So sulfite's dead in the wine. Yeah, I mean, sulfites make it so you're selecting, you know, you're buying a yeast, and that's the yeast that's going to make the fermentation happen. If you don't do that, and, you know, that's the important moment, is when you pick the grapes, bring them into the winery, are you going to let the yeasts that are naturally there right. start the fermentation, or are you going to select? Right. And so, you know, you're... You also can't really have those yeasts present and lively if you're using chemicals in the vines. Right. So that's a prerequisite to making natural wine is to have organically or biodynamically grown grapes. And then follow through with the practice. Because technically you could be organic, dynamic, biodynamic, and screw it up in the cell. Most, yeah, most organic growers then are more traditional in their winemaking and use um, a lab yeast. And, they do. And use... So that blows out the whole... That's, uh, that's the end of that. I mean, in terms of making natural wine. Right. So they used a lab yeast, and then there's 200 additives that are permissible in winemaking. So you can add stuff that you don't have to label? Correct. That, it's, are, it's, that you believe this, and know are not natural in any sense. This is one of the scandals. So for, you could say, I'm a natural wine, put that additive in, and... 
Consumers should get together and sue the wine industry because um, there is not... um, Is there a push to label that stuff or that's never going to happen? There is a push. You know, I mean, it could happen if there's enough pressure, um, but people don't know. So there's, yeah, they're not on the label. Right. Enzymes, sugar, tartric acid, all kinds of things. And then all kinds of processes as well, like reverse osmosis, taking some of the water out of the grapes to concentrate. Such manipulation, right? Manipulation. It's crazy. Um, tell me two things about the process and all of that. And, and the first question is kind of gullible on my part. I should know this. But if a natural winemaker in the field comes and continues those practices in the cellar do guys do a lot of different things do some guys punch down pour over macerate or basically everyone has their own style within that the natural thing or generally there's a common thing everyone does everyone has their own style okay you know, that then is regional depends on the grape okay. it depends on the vintage it depends on their practice yes. right so the practices in the field are more similar than what you could do in the cellar Yes, although even then you could plow or not plow or plow every other row or plant something or not plant something. Like Sheeta, you know, he introduces <laughs> bees and all and everybody. Yeah, it's, it's so complex. The other thing is, and I keep coming across this of late, you always hear about natural wine, sulfites, added sulfites, no sulfites. But I've been reading that yeasts are just as, you know, important. And I think you addressed that a little. But I think that's the number one question. Of, because of natural of, the, of natural because it's Explain. the wine making process it's that moment when are you going to let the yeasts that are naturally present make the fermentation happen or are you going to bring in a, a different yeast so that's, bef- that's the wine yeast makes wine so, so before sulfite's the, an issue yes you know the yeast thing the yeast. is you know yeah we don't talk about yeast enough <laughs> who wants to talk about yeast <laughs> okay well we did and, and you know what well, <laughs> it was an important part of the winemaking and you gravitated to it right away yeah. um i think i put the emphasis that you know that's what makes a uh, natural wine important not screwing around with the yeast and all of that yeah i mean then the sulfites obviously you know natural Winemakers are using zero to, you know, you could choose an arbitrary, arbitrary number, but something like 20 milligrams of sulf, sulfur per liter, not 200, um, right. which is, you know. Is in, that an issue if people are using sulfur as needed and using low doses? That's accepted in the natural wine community, right? There's not a movement of zero, zero always, oh, is there? There is. There is? Sure, there, yeah, there is a movement of zero, zero. Some people think... You know, natural wine has to have zero. I am not one of those. It's, it's you not know, realistic. That's up to the winemaker. Well, it depends on the vintage. It depends on the san- san- sanitary that's state the of answer. the grapes. As needed, not as, as a regular needed, practice. As needed. I would much rather have a wine that's still pleasurable, that right. has some sulfites, than one that needed it, you know. I, I agree So that it that. wouldn't oxidize. Or, so... All you peeps don't go crazy about sulfites. You know, sometimes it's necessary and in low Low doses. doses, And the truth is there are... Jenny says that's okay, (laughs) so it's okay. It's okay. And the truth is you can't really tell. Like if you analyze and there's 20 milligrams per liter, it could be naturally occurring sulfites or added. You don't really know, but if that's the total, so it's not a big deal. 
I had a couple more things on natural wine. I want to talk about Jenny and Francois. A um, couple of perception things. Uh, perception about are these wines ageable? Um, and consistency. You yes. know, this is good this year, this sucks next year, which, by the way, happens with any wine. But address your producers, not specifically, yes. but natural wines, about ageability and consistency. My job is to curate a selection of wines that are delicious. That's what I do. Okay. So um, if a winery has a difficult vintage, I mean, to me, these are masters of winemaking. So even in a difficult vintage... The wine is still good. You know, it might not be great, but there's still pleasure. If there's not pleasure, then I have to have a conversation. But I try to support the winemakers year after year if we can figure out which wine to bring in that year so that, you know, and, and they can they're, survive. They're, and <laughs> they're aware of it, right? But what if it's just a sucky vintage and you do the best you can and the wines are okay? I mean, that's a tough hand to deal uh, you know, a winemaker. Yeah, I would say what happens more often, especially these days, is that um, there's a lot of loss because of uh, frost, because of hail, right? because of weather conditions, and they lose, you know, they lose their crop, and, and then they have to buy grapes. So that's what I, you know, generally support is, oh, you know, I had to buy some grapes from my friend. It's still organic, but it's not really my wine. It's not even the usual variety I work right. with. And then it's much easier to say, of course, you know, of right. course I'll buy that wine. And I think that addresses the consistency issue a little. What about ageability? Sometimes natural people wines. think, you know, natural, you got to drink them yesterday. They don't age. Absolutely. What? I mean... If a wine is beautifully made and is made to be aged and has high acidity, which is what keep, makes the ageability of a wine, it's that acid. Um, so, so natural the, wines are gorgeous aged. And the truth is no one used all this sulfites before, you know, right. war. It's no new phenomenon. So you natural wine people. Although I, have, I do have something to add to that, which is Please. that there are many natural wines that are made to drink young. Right. So a wine that's made to drink young, you know, <laughs> it's not made to age necessarily. Right. So it depends on the wine. Some wines are, you know, great young. Some wines are great. Well, I think if some... you go to a good wine store mm -hmm. and you talk to your wine person and you ask them that, you know, drink this young. Yes. You could put this away or drink it now. Right. You know, you take their lead and all of that. Um, is there a movement? Is there a natural wine movement? Is it? It's enormous. <laughs> I mean, you're part of it. You've seen growth. I hate to again call it natural and yeah. movement, but there is an natural. interest, and I, I think it's become bigger than any of us. So that's the term. Um, here to stay. Here to stay. You know what amazes me? I've had every type of guests, sommeliers, you know, Kirk from Roberta's and legacy restaurants. And there still hasn't been a grasp of the big legacy restaurants to really open up on natural wines. They have a few. I guess that's not their audience, Things are right? changing. They are? Things are changing. You feel good about that? I feel amazing about that. <laughs> All right. Um, 
All right, listen, Jenny, we're going to take a quick break because I want to talk to you about your business and I don't want to interrupt. So we're about halfway through. Let's take a break now. We're talking to Jenny Leftcourt. Jenny is the uh, owner, proprietor of Jenny and Francois, which I'm going to tell you a little more about. You're listening to The Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Located in New York's Finger Lakes region, Ithaca boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation. As the saying goes, Ithaca is gorgeous. The city is home to 150 waterfalls and gorges sprinkled through its downtown and sloping hillsides. State parks and acres of natural lands offer outdoor recreation for every level of enthusiast. Come stroll among the cool ravines, scenic hiking trails, and natural vistas. Ithaca is home to Ivy League Cornell University and Ithaca College, resulting in an influx of new cultures, new tastes, and new energy every year. There's so much to explore, from art galleries and museums to unique attractions like the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Ithaca sits at the heart of a blossoming heritage and craft cider industry, Some of these delicious ciders can be bought in market, but many of the most unique varieties can only be experienced with a visit to Ithaca and this great cider region. Go to visitithaca.com to get inspired and plan your trip today. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Jenny Leftcourt. Jenny is the proprietor of uh, Jenny and Francois Selections a wine importer in New York um, that specializes in natural wines. I want to talk to you, Jenny, about Jenny and Francois. A lot to cover, so let's try to, you know, get to it. So you're a wine importer, so I want you to tell me a little about what you do, how you do it. Um, To me, it's important what you do, you know, that wines people experience or hear because, you know, of that... Um, so talk to me a little about business process, you know, sure. what you do, how you do it. I mean, I th- I'd say before I started, I spent lots and lots of years driving around France. Okay. <laughs> Sleeping in the back of my car. Why? <laughs> because I had no money. <laughs> no, but looking for wineries? Looking for wineries, okay. tasting, tasting wine, going to tastings, going to visit wineries. But bring me in the moment for a second. Are you driving around saying, listen, I think a lot of these guys don't have representation or distribution, and maybe I could talk them into... Di- was that the an objective? At first, it was more education. Like, I want to taste For you. For me. Okay. Um, you know, wanted to explore and understand the different regions and it was almost like a sociological study right <laughs> but um and getting to know people i mean i went to the loire i can't even count how many times and olivia cousin i like have a room in his house almost <laughs> great winemaker uh, yeah so just, that that education led to the next step which is understanding the wines drinking them relationships yes yes then what? Sure. Let me get these wines to the States? Yeah, then I, you know, brought them back in my bag. Literally? Literally. In on my the plane? Carry on before 9-11, you could do that. 
Um, and brought samples in, sat down with people, friends of friends, people in hospitality, um, and said, what do you think? What do you think of these? <laughs> now, when you were driving around, were you tasting stuff that was just okay, like you wouldn't grab a bottle, or most of it was pretty good? Sure, always yeah. all kinds of things. You have to taste the good and the bad. It's an education. So what's, what's, what's the idea? You, you, you bring these bottles on a plane, you introduce them to a few restaurants or psalms, they go, holy shit, this stuff's great. Now you got to get back on a plane and convince a guy to start boxing wine up for you? Basically, yes, except uh, I started out with only retail because I didn't really have the budget or investors to like bring wine over and sit on it and have a restaurant pour it or right. bring in a case. So I went to see retailers at first. That was the first customer. And that was the first customer, and they'd be like, okay, sure, send 10 cases. I'd be like, well, it'll be a month. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> at least. Get, you first like, had to figure out the logistics, right? right? Yeah. What do you remember? This would be significant. Do you remember the first big order? you know, multiple cases and who it was with? I have i don't know if I remember the first, but I remember one big one. Or important. And it's funny because after we, we sort of lost touch, but, well, one big supporter in the beginning was Garnett. Um, at the or is time, that Upper West Side? It's Upper East. Upper East. At the time, it was David Lilly buying the Loire Valley wines. And David is one of the owners of Chamber Street, Chamber which is Street. a good natural wine. And JR, who used to be the owner. Um, I just remember... Did they get it then like you did? You know what? I sat... You know, JR, who finally sat down with me after I <laughs> tried and tried and tried to get a meeting. And it was time after time what happened was... Open the first bottle. Wow, this is really good. You know, we didn't talk about natural wine. There was no vocabulary. There was right. no anything. It was the adjectives. Like, These are lively, energetic, delicious. fun, delicious. Fun. Deli- this reminds me of when I first got into wine. It reminds me of something I drank in a cellar once. Like, just it, it sparked an excitement again and again in really very um, experienced buyers right um well i was gonna ask you that because did some people taste it and go i I don't know i don't get this or this won't work for my store that didn't happen and were you picking people that you kind of knew would get it no or not even i had no idea so the wine spoke for themselves i didn't there was no one who got it at the time and i didn't know anything i didn't know where i was what i was you know we're talking 2000 2001 there's just no definition or discussion or movement of anything so i remember one meeting i got a meeting at morell's okay which after we we, kind of a stayed big you know burgundy bordeaux place somehow got in front of peter morell and opened up a gamay from the Auvergne. <laughs> it's a producer who has since disappeared. But he opened it up. I'll just never forget. He was like, oh my goodness. And he's like, Roberta, Roberta, come taste this. Oh, pour some for her, his sister. And he's like, how can we sell this? He loved Should it right away. we pitch it to our Beaujolais buyers? How do we... And he ordered a pallet. Wow. It was like the most obscure, high acid. And I remember it was Francois at the time. We had 25 wines he tasted through all. And he's like, let's save this 
for the end. So the acidity won't be too surprising. Good call. <laughs> right. It's like having a, you need to have a meal with it. So you might as well have some wine in your palate first. Um, so in the end, did he sell the wines? I mean, it worked out for him. I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, everyone sells the wines. Yeah. What, um, so just explain to me what an importer is. That, you know, give so, me a, a sterile definition yeah. so people know what you do. I don't know if this is sterile, but I mean, I, you know, it's sort of like curating something. It's curating a selection. Of, tra- like you said, traveling around the of country. Wines. Car. Yeah, finding producers, um, curating a selection of wines, which and is really my taste. You know, it's nothing but that. And, you know, that, now that, I think. That worked out well. You have a good palate. Thank you. And then the logistics of getting that wine, getting, getting the guy to commit to it and getting it here. Yeah, there's a lot of red tape and bureaucracy. Containers and laws. Back and labels, government warnings. Is that the part taxes. of the business that drives you crazy? I'm not very interested in that. So you have people who do that, yes. hopefully. <laughs> That's never discouraged you, right? No, not at all. Okay. Um, it's, you know, everyone... There's people interested in every part, so that's not my thing. So when you're an importer, you could bring wine in. Can you bring it to the whole country? Do you bring it to a state? Is it licensed? So, How does that work? For many years, we were just in New York. Okay, which is a good market anyway. It's the best. Right. Um, and now we're in, I think, 44 states, last time I counted. So that was slow and steady. Wow. Yeah. How do you get into another state? Do you set up your own business or do you bring in a local guy? So we work with distributors in every state. So, they, so now you're an importer and a distributor. Right. So in New York, I have my own sales team. Right. So they bring the wines to Retail stores restaurants. and restaurants and taste and sell. And then we work with distributors who have their own sales teams and present the wines in other states. So we don't do it ourselves anywhere but right. New York at the moment. Right. Um, so it's important to get the net out by having a distribution network. For sure. And I would think with the people that you carry and the type of stuff, they come to you more than you have to sell them. Yeah. I mean, the few times I tried to go to somebody, it didn't necessarily work out. Like, people have called us and said, I love your selection. I'm opening a distributorship here or I have a distributorship in whatever state, and I'd love to work with your selection. I've heard guys things. passionate I about it. it that's, in New York. That's I who you it want. In Paris. And so it's great. Yeah. So let's. So you just said you're in what 44 states? I think so. I mean, we're basically a national company. Yeah. And how many different wineries are you representing to date, approximately? Um, I think it's something like 95, and next week it'll be 100. <laughs> right. And some of these guys have two, three wines, some have 10. So you're, you're looking at, you know, 1,000 different wines, oh, upwards of that. Probably not that many. Not, th- not that many? Maybe. I don't think it's like 350 or 400, okay. something like that. Okay. Yeah. And those are, um, where are most of them from? I know you started in France, but I also know that you... Um, we started all French. I mean, there's still a big French back backbone to what I do. Um, well, it's, but it, now it's, it's an important natural wine area, yeah. too. Where else? Um, France, Italy, Spain, U.S., Austria, Czech Republic, Slovakia. Um, 
Yeah, lots of. So the U.S. Mostly Europe. Europe. How is the natural wine movement in the U.S.? It's a growing, really interesting movement. It's becoming important to more people. Yes. We're about to start um, representing a Wild Ark. Uh, Wild Ark Farm. Yes. Um, in the Hudson Valley. So yeah. That's cool guys. And you have Donkey and Goat, which are, you know, some early guys. Um, now's a good time. If people want to know more about you, they should go to your website, right? Yes. JennyandFrancois.com. Right, mm -hmm. And you'll get an idea of the wines and it's a very well done website you know they talk about the producers and what they're doing so it's it, besides it being a business thing it's very educational and all of that um well it's an interesting business and it's probably very competitive but you probably <laughs> got a good head start and your your stable is as good as anybody so kudos to you well Thank deserved you. All right, one of the things june is women and wine month on the grape nation and as everyone knows by now we feature only women guests, you know, that we feel have a good voice and are the best in the business. Um, I want to talk to you about it because obviously after talking to you for a while, um, you've been in it a while and you've been in it different times and all of that. Um, have you seen any change since you started then and now, you know, have you experienced things? Was being a woman, mm -hmm. did it have a, ne a negative effect in getting the business? Yeah. Um, I think there's Europe and then there's New York, and it's kind of two different stories. But Europe's an important part of who you are, so Absolutely. you have to talk about that. Um, so I would say most of my wine tasting experience in Europe have been only with men. You know, it's very it's a, still a male driven. It's very male di driven, and when you go, at least when I lived there ten years ago, you go to wine tasting. It's mostly men. I think that's now changing too. In Europe. In Europe, um, but you know, tasting champagne in a cellar with twenty men. Still, <laughs> right? Open, still, it's standing it's in the cold. Um, so that's you love that, right? Uh, right. <laughs> so that's one thing. Um, you know, but that is evolving and changing. I see, you know, women agents in Paris and, you know, Sylvie Ojo, who started the Dive Boutet, is a huge um But just force. starting. I mean, you're implying that it's just starting to happen. It's, you know, it's evolving. Um, New York, I would say there was a revolution over the time period that I've been working. When I first started... You know, most of the buyers were men. It was still a lot of, like, old-time stores. Um, now there's, like, boutique wine shops all over the place. There's tons of women in wine. It's completely and utterly different. So that's amazing. It's a transformation. So in almost the 20-year time, that evolution, it's, growth in women, it's exposure really, of the product in boutique places, restaurants, you know, grabbing it. It's really changed a lot. Um, but I would say, you know, I'm Are still... Are there issues in New York? Is there a men's club in New York like Europe or that's yeah, dissolving? I think there is. I mean, I think wine, there's, you know, there's a, a kind of macho drinking culture and there's also like a knowledge competition culture of, <laughs> of like macho wine so, guys. Not to... Um, talk about anything specific but sort of what you see like in these psalm movies yeah where it's a bunch <laughs> of dudes and they're drinking right. a crap load exactly. and you know it's a thing then you have pascaline le peltier who right. like 
you know, is who could smoke any sommelier in France right. and right. she, you know, but but she knows how to do that. And right. you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not particularly interested in wine for the like accumulation of knowledge, accumulation of bottles tasted. You know, I'm interested in the pleasure and I'm interested in in how people are working and their culture and allowing them to keep doing what they do and preserving that culture. Um but the, I, I, I think agree. the only reason that I was able to do that is because there were women who I connected with in the early days and now like another group of women who I'm connecting with now Alice Firing was super important in then the very and beginning. then and now then and now she's a dear friend and right. I just I can't imagine having done what I do without her being right. in existence and she puts um, it out there Lorena the- who works at Aster who she's been there forever and she she's a quiet force she's not on wine trips she's she has two daughters she's not interested in you know Kind but of, she's getting it done. But she's been getting it done for 20 years, and she has been quietly supporting what we do without ever asking for anything. Just like a quiet force of, like, she knows what she likes, and she has made that store a hugely important place for natural wine for many, many years. Right. Huge supporter. Um you know, other people like Magalie Terrier, who makes Domaine de Dozan, she's a winemaker. Just like she started the same year I did, and just connecting to her, being having her come to New York and work the market with me and having her support. Right. And um, But lately, the last few years, um, it, was, it, it was hard having a child and not being able to travel and not, not drinking much wine, you know, for a few years. Well, that's another thing a woman... Exactly. It's kind of that's, assigned with is being a mom and raising a kid, which guys don't have to worry about. That's not easy. And, like, do. Yeah. I mean, I was a little afraid we would disappear <laughs> while I disappeared for that for a while, you know, yeah. and wasn't out there. Did any. Um, but. Was anything compromised? The business, you know, the attention, or no? Yeah, it was. I mean, just a moment of, like, you know, I bought Francois, and then I met my current husband, had a baby, like, and and I kind of, like, thought, I have to, you know, we have to be current, and we have to keep moving forward, and how can I make that happen when I'm trying to be a mom, and Well, not even despite all of that, but because of all of that, your business has grown leaps and bounds every year. I mean, I... mean, people would die, you don't have to divulge specific numbers, but... People would die for the type of growth that you're seeing. Yeah. And it's not built in because natural wines are growing or these things are imported. It's how you do it. No, it's huge. But I, I would say that when I came back into traveling and to, um, and I have Phil Sorrell on my team who has found many new producers for us, who is an amazing person to have <laughs> as part of Jenny and Francois selection, but also just um, coming back to traveling after having a child um i've mostly been traveling with the majority of women on my i notice lately and i want you to give your instagram you know before we get off so that people can see your trip amazing i mean amy atwood who's my distributor in california marissa ross you were all in austria we were all in austria yeah i mean it was very funny good was a, a favorite winery of mine and edward and stephanie 
you know, yes. took you guys in. And it's just fun to watch all of that. Yeah, we had a great time. <laughs> um, so last question. So women will be fine in wine. We're seeing growth of women in wine in all sectors, psalms, retail. Winemakers, you're, you know, the wineries you represent more and more. Yes, adding to the book all the yeah. time. At the end of the month, we're talking um, to uh, Tracy Brandt. Oh, great. Who's one of your people for part of our Women in Wine Absolutely. Month and all that. So, Fruit Stereo that we have here. Yeah. Is- so, <laughs> we're going to do a couple more things. We have a few more minutes. Um, we're going to talk about this wine at the end of the show, but we're going to open it now. <laughs> uh, like I said, I asked Jenny to bring in a wine, and she brought in a cider. Um, and while I'm opening this and drinking this, I am going to subject Jenny to our wine list. Uh-huh. So... Is there a way I'm supposed to open this, Jenny? So I would recommend first turning it upside down. All right. Because so you I, see there's some delicious sediment at the bottom there. There you go. Let's Just shake it a mix little. Mix it in. All right. <laughs> Get I all that, that good stuff do that. flowing nice and cloudy. All right. I got a little fizz on the top. It is a uh, pop-top cap, right? Yes. I could pop it now, Pop. Jen? There we go. All right. Andrew, will you please pour this out to everyone? Thank you. All right. Um, when we get to the wine thing, we'll talk about that. But okay. let's do the wine list first, all right? And this is our wine list. We ask our guests the same five questions. I had Rita Jamey in last week. So I asked her, you know, slanted a little towards champagne. Obviously, this is the wine list. Jenny left court. Um, natural wine version. So natural wine should play in. So question number Don't overthink these don't fixate on them i don't need long answers i need your best answers so the question is what are you drinking now what are you drinking that you're tasting that's in your fridge that's seasonal so it's springtime right and different than eight months everything in my fridge is a pet net or a fruit pet net okay so tell everyone what a pet net is so a pet net is a natural wine that was put in a bottle before fermentation finished so it's finishing its fermentation in the bottle, and so you have bubbles. Champagne's fermented twice, pet nat once in the bottle, right? Exactly. Once fermented. So, and what's a fruit pet nat? So I would say I the next revolution is the cider revolution. And Fruit Stereo is a team um, from Sweden, Carl and Michael. This is what we're drinking uh, now. This is what we're drinking Fuch now. Stereo, yellow, what's that called, Jenny? Uh, yellow Cider Marine. Cider Marine. <laughs> it's like the Beatles' Yellow Submarine art. Exactly. So they, they put out albums or, you know, these labels. Right. Um, so they thought, you know, what is, they're really into natural wine. And cider is really, as you said, when I said, can I bring a cider? A cider, sure, it's a wine show. Well, I think the separation and the boundaries are going away. Right. You know, this is the next revolution. It's co-ferments, you know, apples fermenting Co-fermentation with Co-fermentation is another show we could have done. Um, but this is, um, this is apples and berries, the one we're drinking. And it's fruit pet nat. Like, we don't need to think of it. It's in its own category of cider. It's refreshing. It's delicious. Like, like... Great pet nuts. All right, we're, let's finish the wine list, and then we'll do a quick evaluation after the wine list. We'll talk about color, palate, process, and all that. All right, so you're drinking pet nuts. You got a fridge of pet nuts. Anything else? Pet 
Pet nap. Pet nap for now. <laughs> Makes sense. All right. Do you have a, you've traveled the world, you've been to some good gastronomic, you know, cities and countries. Do you, this is the goofiest question in the list. Do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Oh, I'll probably be boring for that one. No boring. <laughs> I mean, oysters and muscadet is delicious. Okay, you're not allowed to say oysters and champagne on this show. Okay, muscadet. But but that's classic. Underrated. (laughs) Give me a favorite muscadet or two. Well, we we import Mark Pino, who still, I think, is incredibly underrated. P-E-S-N-O-T. Okay. Underrated um, producer who... um, Quietly working away in, in the Muscadet region. If you're carrying it, it's good. So I'm good with that. So that Jenny just gave us a classic classic. I mean, summertime, good to talk about it. Oysters are fresh now. And Muscadet is just the perfect wine for that. All right. Do you have, I don't know how much you've been getting out lately. Do you have a favorite wine restaurant and or bar? And I ask because... There are places now that are focusing on wine, natural wine. They have a knowledge. They have the inventory. Who's doing it well? Well, Frenchette is next to my office, so I like to go for lunch and have a glass of wine. We love Jorge. Ten Bells, Wild Air Contra, Four Horsemen, June Wine Bar, Tom Kearney, who's the chef there. At June? Is actually... June is in Brooklyn. June is in Brooklyn. He doesn't do the wine list there, but he is... An amazing wine person and an amazing chef. So you gave me about five great natural wine bars. I agree with you on all of them and throw in the food at June on top of that. Good answers. I forgot to tell everyone we post all these answers on our social media. So, you know, if anybody, and I happen to have somebody to the right of me that pretty much documents all this stuff too, my (laughs) friend Andrew. Um, All right. Do you have, from all of this traveling and natural wine, Michigas, and everything, do you have a favorite all-time wine? So I'm not going to say it doesn't, what's expected, which is maybe some fancy burgundy or fancy champagne or it's old. A, the answers <laughs> evolved away from that. It's become experiential and all okay. that. And, and it's it, what moves you. I'll, it, go, I'll go back to my origins, which was the Loire, and say that Thierry Puzla, who I do not represent, <laughs> but um, when I first drank his wines, I did not stop drinking his wines for many, many years after that. And we did represent his negociation practice in okay. the beginning. But um, those wines blew my mind, and that was one of my first mind blown drinking. Okay, so Thierry Puzla, good answer. Um, all right, last wine, and you should be expert at answering this. The question is recommend to me. The best wines, red and a white, around 15, 20 bucks. And I've beaten this intro to death, but my kids are in their 20s. They don't want to buy a crappy wine for 8, 10, 11 bucks. They're not spending 30, 40. They're going to a party. What do they bring in for 15, 20 bucks? You can give me category like Muscadet. You can give me makers. I assume and expect it'll be your guys. What do you got? Um, so. I would say one of my favorite grapes, Chenin Blanc. Uh, Grand Good value white. Going back to the Loire again, Grand Chiffin, um makes beautiful Chenin. Um, so that's one recommendation. Coming from Austria, where I just was, um, Alexander and Maria Kopitsch make beautiful... Spell K-O-P-I-T-S-C-H? Um, two Ps. Two P-P. Ps. Okay. 
Give me reds. Coppage. So they make actually red a red white. called ret <laughs> and a white homok. Um, those are super well priced. So coppage can go both ways. Yes. Okay. Any other singular red you want to? Uh, can you think of anything? That, that's fine if you can. Um, these might be a little more expensive. Expensive. Grappery in the Loire. Spell. Um, also, um, he makes Pinot de Nice. One of my favorite current grapes. G-R-A. Jorge Riera really turned me on to that. <laughs> okay. French yet. G-R-A-P-P-E-R-I-E. Okay, I'll post And it. then there's, of course, these uh, fruit, fruit pet nets, which are well-priced and delicious which I will <laughs> for <post>. the summer. <laughs> All right, we got to wrap up, so I want to talk about it. So every week we taste a different wine on air for our weekly wine sip. You know, I asked Jenny to bring something in. You know, I already chastised her for bringing a cider in, but now we understand why. It's a co for men. It's a hot category, Jenny knows. So we're drinking Fruxterio cider. It is a pet nat cider. It's there's fruit, fruit in it nat. and all of that. So color is a cloudy yellow, right? The nose. Do we even do nose on pet sure, nats? Sure, absolutely. What do you get on the nose? I get a little of that fermentation smell. But what fruits am I getting, or what am I getting? Maybe some yellow fruit. Mm-hmm. And mouthfeel is typical pet nat. There's, you know, the bubbles, a little acidity. Not thin, not thick, you know, a good medium feel, right? Pretty acidity, pretty yellow fruits. All right, that's palate. What are you getting on the palate? It's definitely some grassy, herbaceous notes as well. Very herbaceous, a little grassy. Um, Lemonade. (laughs) There's that lemon there. You know, that whole lemon with the skin and the rind and all. But that. totally Just dry. You know, it's very dry, very delicious. Jenny, what would be a good food to pair this with? Mm, any, Is this a food thing? Sure, summer salads, anything. I think I'll go right out here and have a, okay. <laughs> a salad and a okay, so glass good, of wine. Or good with a salad. Um, any Vegetable dishes. Okay. Uh, so lighter fare. Lighter fare. All right. So that's the Fruxterio Yellow Ciderine. Um, what do I call it? Pet nat or cider? Fruit pet nat. Fruit pet nat. <laughs> All right. And you didn't hear it first, but you heard it from the right person that this is a category that you're obviously going to be seeing, hearing, and drinking about more. All right, Jenny, we got to wrap up. Um, if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. Follow us at Instagram at SBenRuby and the hashtag The Grape Nation. I will use both of those to post Jenny's wine list answers and give you more information on the uh, Fruit Stereo. Um, you could subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on all your favorite pod places, iTunes, Spotify, um, Stitcher. Um, like I said, I will make sure I post um, all of Jenny's stuff and some of the makers that she mentioned. Jenny, again, if people want to know more, I think it's less about Jenny and Francois, although that's but about your wines and wineries. They go to JennyandFrancois.com? Absolutely. Okay. And, Instagram, and, Jenny Francois. Okay, that was my next question. <laughs> so... 
there's the company is Jenny and Francois, but Instagram is Jenny Francois, yes. right? So it's at Jenny <laughs> Francois. I just want to make sure. Um, and that's where we could find you, the company, and your travels and all that. All right, Jenny, I want to thank you for coming in. I've been wanting to have you uh, on the show for a while. Thank you for doing Women Thanks and so Wine. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, you know, for all the great wines you bring in and all the insight that you gave us. Thanks to our engineer, Matt, on the board today um, and everyone else at Heritage Radio Network. Thank you to Andrew Fauble for coming in and sitting with us. Um, I'm Sam Ben-Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>